Hey, this is Robert from Washington, D.C. Hey, I'm Jimmy from Los Angeles. Hi, this is Hannah from Los Angeles. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Werner Herzog has always been known for pushing filmmaking to its limits. His 60 feature films in 40 years have reveled in humanity at its extremes. From self-taught naturalist Timothy Treadwell in the documentary Grizzly Man to crack-crazed madman Nicolas Cage in the crazy and fictional Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. In his latest film, he's found a new human boundary to push, time. Cave of Forgotten Dreams is a 3D look into the Chauvet Cave, home of the earliest known cave paintings in the world. With a tiny crew and jerry-rigged 3D cameras, Herzog looks at some of the first images ever created. The caves are tightly controlled, only open to tiny groups of researchers approved in advance by the French government. It took Herzog years to obtain the permissions necessary to even bring in a skeleton crew. He takes this rare opportunity not just to present to us the beauty of the caves, and they are amazingly beautiful, but to consider what it means to create and how we define our own humanity. In this clip from the film, a researcher explains why the cave paintings are tucked so far back in the cave, and Herzog narrates his first look at a painting of a bear. You see, in in this big chamber, which is really huge, it's the biggest in the cave, there are no paintings, except right at the end. So this is probably relevant because when the entrance uh, was still open, uh, there must have been some light here. So they put the paintings really in the complete dark. This is a, a cave bear painted in black. The paintings looked so fresh that there were initial doubts about their authenticity. But this picture has a layer of calcite and concretions over it that take thousands of years to grow. This was the first proof that it was not a forgery. Werner Herzog, thank you so much for joining me on The Sound of Young America. You're very welcome. So the first thing that struck me when I saw this film, even having read the New Yorker article that it was based upon, was how beautiful the cave paintings were. And I wonder if you knew how beautiful they were before you started looking into the project, like before you... Yeah. Well, I had no idea what was coming at me. Uh, in fact, the New Yorker article uh, by Judith Thurman in a way triggered it. It's not based on it. Based, uh, I would say, <clears throat> is more s- something like early in my adolescence when I was 12 years old. I was fascinated by a book on cave paintings and I really wanted to buy the book so badly and I worked in tennis courts as a ball boy just to be able to buy this book and uh, this kind of shudder, this awe, uh, the kind of sense of wonder that I experienced when I was 12 has never left me so it was somehow dormant 
and I was asked, uh, are you interested in doing something about a cave that has been discovered with great cave paintings? I said, what are you telling me? <laughs> yes, of course, yes, yes, yes. I want to do this film without even knowing exactly um, what the Chauvet cave was all about. Were you Were you able to grasp when you were just a, a teenager the immensity of the of the time scale that was probably part of it uh, and now the time scale is shifting significantly because from our time uh, back to Lascaux caves on, only 13 14 maybe 15000 years back in time it's a shorter distance from us to them than from Lascaux cave to Chauvet which is 35,000 years, 32,000 years back in time. So it's completely mind-boggling and passage of time is uh, inconceivable for us. When, when you look at the dating of some of the paintings, it's completely mind-boggling and the kind of completely preserved time capsule Chauvet Cave was um, discovered uh, by three discoveries in 1994, a sensational find. And the cave was cons was completely sealed off by a cataclysmic uh, rock uh, slide, sealed it off in this gorge of the Ardèche River. And since then, um, you find fresh tracks of cave bears right next to where you can walk on a metal walkway of course, you never step onto it and superimpose your sneakers on it. And you look at these fresh uh, tracks, and at the same time, we know the cave bear became extinct as a species more than 20,000 years ago. I mean, in, in that New Yorker article, there's this little bit at the beginning where she describes that there have been 200 generations between our time and the beginning of recorded history, essentially. Yes. And that these cave paintings took place literally thousands of generations before that. And I, I found myself, as I considered that, it, um, it, was, it was almost too big for me to handle. And I started having an emotional reaction mm -hmm. to it when I was just, I was trying to just be purely yeah. analytical. Well, there's always a sense of awe, and I think I pass this on to the audience. But uh, when you speak about generations, uh, when you look at us and my children's generation, who all are into uh, virtual realities on the internet, who are uh, into video games, invented realities, who have seen re reality TV, grew up with it, who have seen digital effects in movies, dinosaurs credibly created. Uh, from one generation, uh, perception of reality has shifted dramatically already. Now you go back in this amount of time, these recesses uh, of history and prehistory and unfathomable depths of time. It's just stunning how um, to imagine how did they see these images? How did they perceive? And this is why I go completely wild at the end of the film. There's a postscript about uh, spreading 
albino mutant crocodiles, <laughs> <laughs> which are not that far away in a compound uh, in a biosphere next to a um, nuclear plant in the warmed water uh, for using the cooling of the reactors warms a biosphere. By the way, as bizarre and surreal this idea might be, that they would spread, escape and spread out and uh, view these images. How would they see it? Reality has overtaken the wildness of my imagination. Actually, a few months ago, six crocodiles escaped from the compound. <laughs> there was a big hunt for them. <laughs> Helicopters had to be used. And uh, uh, they recaptured all but one is still unaccounted. <laughs> so uh, as wild as fantasies may go into the wildest science fiction, all of a sudden reality uh, outdoes the surreal thought. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, publishers of John Waters' latest book, Role Models, now in paperback. Role Models is a self-portrait told through profiles of Waters' favorite personalities, some famous, some unknown, some criminal, some surprisingly middle of the road. Available now. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the director, Werner Herzog. His new documentary is called Cave of Forgotten Dreams. It's a 3D look at the oldest known images, the cave paintings in the Chauvet Cave in France. In this clip, a scientist recounts seeing the paintings for the first time and explains the effect that they had on him. The first time I entered to, to Chauvet Cave, I had the chance to, to get in during five days, and it was so powerful then every night I was dreaming of lions. And every day was the same uh, shock for me. It was an emotional shock. I mean, I'm a scientist, but a human too. And after five days, I decided not to go back in the cave because I needed time just to relax and take time to... To absorb it? To absorb it, yeah. Yeah. And you dreamt not of paintings of lions, but of real lions. Of both. Of both, definitely. Yeah. When you spent time with uh, these paintings, and you only had sort of short periods of time, and you had yes. a very immense technical task uh, before you in terms of yeah. filming in 3D and in, in periods of just a couple of hours, mm -hmm. I, I wonder how spending that time with something that was that old, that was from before, so much before recorded history, where you like lose track even of mm -hmm. the idea of generations and of individual yeah. people, whether that changed how you thought about yourself and, and particularly like mortality and, and you know, religion. Well, all these thoughts uh, are only allowed afterwards. You see, when, <laughs> when you have only one week and you have only four hours a day, you better go in, you work fast, you have to perform, you have to deliver no matter what. And uh, I was only allowed three men with me. And inside the cave, in semi-darkness, only illuminated by a few torches, 
we had to build and reconfigure our cameras. You see, in 3D, when you have a wide shot, you have to have a certain distance of the levels, a certain distance of the eyes. However, when you are moving much closer, the eyes, the lenses have to move much closer to each other and they even have to squint slightly. So it is high-precision technology and you have three guys with you and you have to be very, very quick and it has to function. So it was performing a duty. It was technical work, work and nothing else. So you have to have a tunnel view. Only afterwards you sit back and, and you are pondering about uh, uh, where are the origins of the modern human soul. Yes, you are witnessing it. Um, what did uh, these uh, paintings mean for the people at that time? So all this is uh, mysterious and uh, we can only wonder. How do you manage that as a filmmaker? I mean, you must have you must have had some idea of what kind of film you wanted to make before you set out to do this incredibly complicated, time-intensive, technical task of shooting these beautiful 3D images in four-hour stretches. Oh no, you you don't do much thinking. You better you better do your job. You see, thinking comes either before or afterwards not that much while you are doing it. So what, what kind of thinking did you do beforehand and how did like taking home these images and looking at them change what you had planned? Well, one of the main considerations was how do I pass on this kind of sense of awe to an audience, which is not easy because in storytelling you tell a story, yes, and it has... Um, certain rules, it has certain flows, it has certain rhythms, but uh, a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, how do, you, how do you pass that on? Of course, I prepared myself quite well in terms of knowledge of uh, prehistoric art, not only of that cave, so that I had an argument, I had a real discourse with the scientists I never act as an interviewer. I have no prepared questions, but I have knowledge, and I'm, well, of course, limited knowledge, but uh, I'm having discourses with them. And all of a sudden, it becomes much more lively than just question-answer, question-answer. You're, you're certainly not afraid to do a little poking when need be. <laughs> of course, I, I do that, and uh, it's a certain charm. I knew that part of the limitations on the time that you could spend in yeah. this cave were related to the fact that um, you know any human activity inside sure. disturbs something that yes. can never be undisturbed. Yes. Um, so it's not a caprice yeah. by the scientists or by the Ministry of Culture to let you in. It's, uh, of course, time constraint. And also, you see, you can never touch anything. You really never, ever step off the metal walkway. Um, in one part where you have charcoal paintings, uh, on the ground there are faint traces of uh, charcoal powder. You are not even allowed to sneeze. If you sneeze, you blow all this charcoal dust away you blow the evidence away that has not been scientifically 
uh, checked out yet. What I didn't know was that another reason that you're only allowed to spend a certain amount of time in the caves is for your own health, that these caves, because of the radon and mm -hmm. carbon dioxide, literally poison you a little bit while you're inside. Yes, uh well, it's number one, it's only one cave, but it has two main branches at the end. One of these uh, branches is uh, slightly lower, and through um, the limestone, which is quite porous, uh, CO2 seeps through, coming actually from the root of, roots of trees. And there's a fairly high concentration, which increases later on when later in spring when leaves are growing and in summer. So the scientists would only converge and gather uh, late in, in spring, let's say uh, March, early April, and that's it. Um, and of course there are precautions. Um, uh, they have oxygen masks and there's a very strict protocol how to behave if, let's say, one man faints. Who is going to carry him out and if the one who carries him out is also fainting? So there's a sequence of events uh, which is very strictly rehearsed and set down in protocol, but it's not that dangerous, let's face it. Uh, but, however, I must say, after 40, 50 minutes, I felt woozy and I sat down and I, I, I knew this was enough you better move out. And in other, but of course there are guards with you and, and they would immediately do the right thing. It's, it's interesting to me that you're, that you're both in the film and in practice in these, in this cave, you have to set up these kind of, um, these, these intellectual structures that allow you to deal with the enormity of something that is too enormous to actually deal with directly. Just like we have to, you know, we have to figure out a way to deal with the fact that there are thousands upon thousands of generations, yeah. which is just more than we can manage in our head. You also have to have a system to manage the idea of what happens if someone collapses. Well, uh, yes, but, but it's, again, it's not that serious. And, and of course, <laughs> Uh, there's parts where you have radon gas, a radioactive gas. It only becomes uh, troublesome if you spend a real long time in there at these places because it has an accumulative effect in your lungs, otherwise not so wild. But how do we approach this whole project? And of course, I'm not approaching it uh, with as an accountant of facts, which you see a lot in, in uh, documentaries today. I go in as a poet, and my understanding is the understanding of poetry. And even if you have a wild end with um, albino mutant crocodiles, it's just to intrigue an audience to follow me into the wildest poetry and the wildest uh, imaginations of science fiction almost. Werner, thank you so much for taking the time. You're very welcome. Werner Herzog's new documentary is Cave of Forgotten Dreams. It's in theaters this week. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our music is provided to us by Dan Wally, our producer, Julia Smith, our editor, Nick White. Our intern on the show is Lindsay Palmer. 
If you have thoughts about the show, you can share them on our forum at forum.maximumfun.org, or you can just email them to me. This is my actual email address, jesse at maximumfun.org. You can get all of our shows absolutely 100% for free in iTunes or on our website, MaximumFun.org. And when I say all of our shows, I mean not just every Sound of Young America, but also our comedy shows like Jordan, Jesse, Go, My Brother, My Brother and Me, Stop Podcasting Yourself, and even Judge John Hodgman. It's all online at MaximumFun.org. We'll see you next time right here on The Sound of Young America. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter, Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.